and welcome to another episode of The Rise of Jim Carrey. I'm Dave. Tristan, with you here. And have we got a good one for you. You say that every week. Well, they're all good. Are they though? Okay, okay. This is Batman Forever. Wow. (laughs) Wow, I'm just going to read you my first note. Before we get into anything, my first note feels really long. (laughs) (laughs) I got in. And then my wife was like, I want a cup of tea. And we paused it. We're like, we got 40 minutes left. Oh, <laughs> my God. We're going to start off. You're going to give us your elevator pitch for this movie. I'm a big wig over at uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah. I guess. Bing. All right. I got an idea for a new Batman film. You know the Batman films. Yeah. They've been a kind of dark uh, by Tim Burton. Yeah. Uh, we're going to do that, but we're going to combine it with the 60s camp version of Batman and make it 90s and bright and colourful. Uh, we're going to have a different Batman. Uh, okay. We're finally going to get Robin in there because we haven't had Robin yet. Okay. Uh, we're going to have Two-Face. Okay. He's going to be uh, one of the main bad guys. We're also going to have the Riddler as one of the bad guys. Two uh, bad guys. Yeah, two bad guys. We're going to up the ante. They're not going to cancel each other out? I think it's going to be fine. Bing! This is me. You know what? Why don't you swing by my office after lunch and uh, we'll have a chat. Yeah, that sums it up pretty, pretty well. We're going to start off by uh, Jim's life at this point. Uh, this is 1995 for everyone playing along at home. Jim uh, actually uh, is getting divorced uh, from his first wife uh, at this point in his career. And actually played um, quite an interesting part in this film that he wasn't able to shave a question mark into the back of his head (laughs) because he had to go to court for divorce proceedings. I wanted to see that photo of him (laughs) rocking up at court with that in his head. But yeah. It's one thing uh, this film needed, it was uh, more crazy Jim Carrey hair. Yeah, right. That's kind of all I could find about like what was going on in his life. Like he kind of made this and he made uh, another film, what we're doing next week at the same time. And this was kind of after 94, which Mm. I think as we talked about last week was the big, some people say overnight success. It was kind of a year long success Mm. where he did um, uh, The Mask. Dumb and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura all in the same year and really went from nothing to this big star. Uh, If you look at him, like, he's now playing with the big boys. Yeah. Like, they're a big, big... You know, you got Tommy Lee Jones, Val Kilmer, Nicole Kidman, Chris O'Donnell. He's, like, he's made his mark and they're like, cool, we want you to come and play with a movie that's got a lot of money. It's the first film that he's done where he's not the main character. The, the yeah. film isn't built around him. He's part yeah. of an ensemble. I'll tell you what, let's go to the numbers. So, yeah, as we said, 1995, the cost of this film, the budget I had was $100 million, mm. which is ludicrous. Even by today's standards, that's a lot of money. And that's like 1995, $100 million, <laughs> which is like $200 million now. Yeah. That is great. But you can see where it's been spent. Oh, yeah. There's like, money in every frame of this film. Yeah. For good reasons and bad reasons. Yeah, there were some reasons where I was like, what is going Why have you done that? The earned gross worldwide. $336 million. That's a huge success. Oh, yeah. That's like, what, triple their budget? E- even for Batman standards. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, this is the third in the Batman films and mm-hmm. uh, this kind of outperformed Batman Returns. Yeah. And I couldn't find out how much Jim Carrey got paid for this film. I'm quite interested. I know it was under $15 million. <laughs> that I know. It was above seven, I think, and under 15, I think. Yeah. 
back. A lot of money. A lot. A lot of money. He got paid a lot of money, and in my opinion, they got their value for money out of this. Question number one <laughs> that I have: Does Batman have a tunnel from his office all the way across Gotham, the the Batcave? Yes. <laughs> What? He's really rich. Like, it was like one of those, uh, is it the humanic tubes? Yeah. I was like, what is this craziness? And it's got a little TV screen in it. I was like, no one's noticed on the blueprints to the building that, because he's on like the 20th story. He's Batman. He is a billionaire. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. That's my question. Okay. Um, I've got a question. Okay. About halfway through the film, or just over halfway through the film, uh, it is Halloween. Yeah. There are kids trick-or-treating. Yeah. And it seems to be that Way Manor is very isolated, out by itself. Why are their kids trick-or-treating out there? That is my fifth question. How did they get there? What are they doing there? How did they get through the front gate? Why is one of them dressed like a Tim Burton character? <laughs> what is happening? It, it, it's literally parents going, let's go hit up the rich guy. Yeah. He's got the good candy. Yeah. but We also- have to travel 20 minutes from Gotham to get there. And he's got the good candy. Yeah, I like. I immediately was like, what are they doing? How did they get there? Because Bruce Wayne makes a comment to Robin. He's like, we're quite far away from any gas station, meaning civilization. You're going to have to get petrol here. Yeah, that's right. Because he's like, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be like 20 minutes before you hit anywhere. Yeah. And there are kids without their parents walking around. It's like five of them walking, and they walk off into a dark road in the middle of nowhere. And I'm like, this is not safe. My next question: How old is Robin? That's a good question. I think I think he's because maybe Chris late o- teens. Because Chris O'Donnell is 25 if he's a day. Yeah, but they're like, hey, you're here by custody of the state, but you drive a motor. Bye. I'm going to put him at like 17. Yeah. But then he's like, I want you to go to college. But also, you're a fully grown man. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at the arms on you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, next question. Not a question, but more of a statement. Okay. That uh, made me super happy. John Favreau's in this film, Dave. Where's John Favreau? John Favreau's in this film. He is Bruce Wayne's assistant. Oh. You see him for maybe half a second. Wow. But Is I, that when they go into the lab? Uh, yeah, when, when, they, when we first meet Edward Nygma. Because I didn't realise to begin with, his name popped up in the credits and I was like, what? John Favreau's in this film? Went kind of searching for him. He, I think his, his title was The Assistant. Found that scene and, yes, he is one of Bruce Wayne's, Wayne's assistant. So he only works for crazy billionaires. Yeah, so he is the assistant to Iron Man and he is the assistant to Batman. That's amazing. It made me very happy. That's amazing. I'm going to have to go back and watch that scene because <laughs> I like to think that in his mind, that is the same character. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I'm going to go work with this other billionaire over here who dresses up in a suit and doesn't have any superpowers but fights bad guys. He has no lines. He's just standing there and uh, gets Batman a cheeseburger. Ninja washing montage? <laughs> <laughs> I had that down as well. I was just like, what the shit is this shit? I'm sorry about my language, but I was like, what is happening? <laughs> You're in the circus. Oh, wow. 
Doesn't mean you're a ninja. This like, is how circus people do their washing, Dave. Okay, okay. Well, I'll tell you what. You can't just put it on the line. <laughs> I'll tell you, you what. You have to flip it on the line yeah. and take three times as long to do your washing. And, like, rinse it out and then, like, just, like, gets the mop and mops it. And I'm like, you know, Alfred is a professional. Just let him do it. Like, he wants to do it. And I find it hard. Sorry, pin. I find it hard to believe that Alfred alone is, like, running that house. That is a manner. Like, he is not... There is like a, there's like a staff of at least 15 running that place. He's, Alfred's not out there pulling up weed. I'm sorry, he's not. Giant evil villain island at sea <laughs> that nobody notices and it's green with a giant spinning thing. No one says a word. No one even knows. No, that's uh, that's Edward Dingber's factory. He yeah, has I know. the big oh. opening of the factory, but, but like, we don't know it's like an evil place until... In the middle of the ocean. Yeah, it's not practical. No, I was like, how did all the reporters get there then? Like, yeah, I was, I was quite like, cool. Like They no, stole a boat? And no one sees the green stuff going, like the green thoughts going into it? That's just how the technology works, eh? Oh, okay. Don't question your um, iPhone. Okay, this is my last question, and this was one that actually made me giggle quite a lot. So the intruder alert in the Batcave <laughs> turns the Batcave on and brings the Batmobile up. Yeah. That is a terrible intruder alert. <laughs> intruder, intruder, here is everything. Steal whatever you want. I was like, intruder alert, shut it down. Make it look like a normal cave. Well, one thing that I really liked about Batman Forever, because I, I, just putting it out there, Batman's my superhero. He, yeah. he, he is the hero that I loved growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I had the costume, I had everything, uh, and he, he was also a big part of my cinematic journey, especially as a kid. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I hadn't seen the original Tim Burton Batman, but uh, we had a VHS, again, VHS, we're old. There yeah, guys, um, get around it. <laughs> of uh, Batman Returns that I just watch over and over and over and over and over as you do as a kid. Is um, that the one that had the symbol, like the bat symbol on top of the VHS? Like... <laughs> Between the two reels, like yes, yeah, yes, yeah. I think we had the same one. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. That yeah. seems cool. Yeah, Batman Forever was my first cinematic Batman experience. Mine too. Uh, actually, yeah. I think uh, Returns was ninety two, ninety three. So it was a bit too yeah. young. It was a big event film when it came out and this very kind of vivid memory this was like before cosplay but there was a guy that they'd hired dressed up as batman at the screening that i was at who for the previews and the very start of the film basically just ran around the cinema i thought it was the coolest thing that's so great the, like people would do that these days for free <laughs> <laughs> and like the fact that like they paid some go and he's like oh, yeah all right yeah and did it that's amazing. That's so good. <laughs> um, I loved it so much. And this is kind of slap bang in when they really marketed films. And they, they, they I mean, they, they market the heck out of films nowadays, but because we've got so many big blockbuster films coming out quite regularly, you kind of see one film everywhere and then it very quickly moves on to the next one where kind of back, Back in 95, they'd kind of market the heck out of just a, a handful of the big films that came out Oh, this year. was massive, like, Happy Meal toys yeah. for me. Like, you not, got, like Not Happy Meal toys for me. It was the Coke glasses. Yeah. So McDonald's yes. had these Coke glasses that you could could buy and were a staple of my household for my entire childhood. I think I still have one somewhere. <laughs> Basically saying, I'm a huge Batman fan. 
Um, and I know this one gets a lot of hate out there for very good reasons. Uh, not as but, much as the one that followed. Oh, that's not a Batman film in my eyes. Um, but the, yeah, a lot that was set up here kind of leads on to that, that yeah. bad path. But um, I, I still have a lot of nostalgia for this film. There's still a, a lot of really good elements. One in particular is the, the handling of Robin, I think, was done um, very well. The, mm. the, the, the scene where they set him up at the circus and Two-Face comes in and uh, kind of shoots the place up uh, where his parents um, pass away. Uh, I, th- the, I think that was such a fantastic sequence. The imagery in that, yeah, of like when he comes back and there's that hole, and then you see his head pop out, and then he looks down, and his parents are in those like shapes, and everyone's gathered around looking up at him. I was just like, oh, and it, uh, oh, uh, my eyes, oh, getting a bit wet. A yeah. lot of a, a visual symbolism there, which yeah. I, I very much appreciated. Of course, um, uh, he, he looks down, and there's the the ring of the. St- the circus, this big circle that they're lying in, um, and uh, there's this kind of duality between Robin and uh, the character of Batman, and we have a, a flashback later in the film where uh, Batman's uh, or Bruce Wayne is remembering um, his parents uh, being shot, um, and there's a, a very vivid uh, circle that is painted on the sidewalk that his parents fall oh. into that. That was a, a a very good kind of visual symmetry between the two that. characters. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I think Robin is a very hard character to do outside of the the, the comic books. He's a bit too cool for school. Mm. Um, the earring was a bit much, but the the, the storyline between uh, the, that that kind of duality between what he was going through and the connection with Batman, I, I think was done expertly in this film and and was kind of achieved a lot better than a lot of the other kind of symbolisms and and um things that were happening story-wise in this film. Yeah. But yeah, the, the the circus sequence itself I think was was um such a fantastic action sequence in the film and there's a lot of like really horrible action sequences in this film. Yeah. Um, so I, I wanted to highlight that one as, yeah. as one of the better moments. It was really great because you found Batman without his suit and his gadgets, but unable to like to stop himself. Like going, yeah. I have to go and save these people. Like I have to try. I don't care if I get exposed, you know, and, and that was lovely to watch like, you know, Val Kilmer standard goes, I am Batman. No one hears him. He's like, right, well, I'm just going to have to do what I do and make the best of it, you know. Yeah. It's a great sequence. Yeah. Um, and then when everything's about to hit the fan, Two-Face is like, see it. Just goes down the trap door and disappears. Like, he likes his trap doors. loves his trap doors. <laughs> um, yeah, look, I, I really loved how quickly this film got into the action. You just were like, there's Batman. He's getting ready. He's in the car. And you're in a bank and uh, Two-Face is there and he's shooting another place and you're like, oh, okay. I, I, like, by the time you kind of realize what's going on, Batman and the greatest security guard in the world are in a vault on a helicopter like dangling there with like boiling acid pouring in and you're like, what is happening? I, that's one thing I love about movies is like if you can get a movie like in a, like a sequel or in a series that they go, you get it. Like, you know where we are. Like, we're just going to get you guys into this story so you can know where Batman is so that when 
the rest of the story unfolds. Like, we don't need to do his origin again. We don't need to set up who he is. You've seen two movies that are that. He's just doing his thing, and then he gets basically side blinded by the um by the Riddler, really. But I I think the important thing and what it does well is we've had two Batman films that were tonally very different before this one. So Mm. it needs to set up, um, one, that it's still a Batman film Mm -hmm. um, and two, setting up the the tone and the the, where Joel Schumacher, the director, is taking the universe. Um, And I think that... That is done well mm-hmm. if you agree with that direction or not. And, I mean, we, we start off with a very cheesy joke, uh, which was uh, Alfred offering him some food and uh, Batman just turning or turning back. And I think it's even his first line is, I'll get drive through. Yeah. Uh, which is something you wouldn't have seen in the Tim, Bat- uh, Tim Burton films. No. Uh, but is a very strong statement to go, this is a Batman film. We've got the cool car. But this is going to be very cheesy. This is going to be like the 60s Batman film. Um, and then we get into the action sequence, which is kind of very loud, very colourful, um, very over the top. So we know by the end of that sequence what this film is going to be and if we're on board or not. Yeah, I I really loved it. I was like, yeah, let's just dive in and just you know, like, yeah, like you said, like by the end of this, if you don't like this, you are not going to like this film. I loved, and I mean loved, the introduction to Ed Nigma. <laughs> I thought that whole sequence was great. Just like you go, this is the Batman world and this is Bruce and this is the world we know and he's checking out his laboratory and then you've got like... Jim Carrey, who is just playing a whole other sport in this movie, mm. but like grounds it. I'm getting into the actor's uh, opinion, but grounds it in this really like this obsession with Bruce Wayne and wanting to be him and like just wants that connection and wants to sort of like, hey, I want to work with you. I want to do this. But to the point that he's gone crazy and and this thing playing out where he's like, I want to like be your friend and I want to be with you, but also I'm super unhinged. And then I've got this manager who does not like me, wants to fire me. But Bruce, I like, I like the way that, um, cause I remember watching it as a kid and being like, Oh, Bruce Wayne's just not into it, but he's not, it's not that Bruce Wayne is into it. And he is interested in the tech. He just wants to check it out to make sure that it's safe. That's all he wants. He's like, yeah, send it over. We'll check it out and we'll talk. And he's like, no, I need to know right now. And he's like, then I'm not in, which is good business. It's like, I don't know you. You seem super unhinged. And that just kicks Enigma off the edge. And he's like, right, well, I'm going to like, I'm going to make you pay. Yeah. But then watching it as an adult, I was like, no, that's a very fair thing to do. Like, it's like, I want to check out the specs and, and the tech. And also because, like, Batman's like, oh, well, this is probably very, very dangerous. I just want to, you know, find out what this guy's doing. And then, you know, Edmigla tests it out in his boss and then, like, throws him out the window and kills him like it's nothing. I just love that introduction to him because, like, straight away you're like, this is somebody who is really, really dangerous but very, very smart. And th- and it's where I think the Two-Face... Riddler comparison is so interesting because Two-Face is sort of your conventional bad guy, really. He's like, I'm going to go in there, I'm going to shoot some stuff, I'm going to make some speeches, uh, and I'm going to get what I want, I'm going to run away. Where the Riddler, 
who Edigma becomes, he is not. He's like, I'm going to make a lot of money. I'm going to steal everyone's thoughts and I'm going to become Bruce Wayne. I'm mm. going to become a rich, untouchable guy because Bruce Wayne doesn't know what to do with that. Like fighting and brawling, he knows what to do with. But he's, this is the first time he's kind of met someone who's like, I'm as smart as you are and I want to I want to actually have a battle of, of wits instead of yeah. just like, let's fight because you're going to beat the shit out of me. Like, you know, and I, I just I just love that. I love that introduction and I love how Jim Carrey handled that as well. And I think very, very interesting from a script writing point of view as well that mm. the theme and, and the tone of the Riddler was set up in, in that interaction and mm. um, just the, the, the phrase, um, there are too many questions, which sets up the Riddler, the character mm. and his motivations against Bruce Wayne, which I thought went over my head as a kid, but mm. kind of a, one of the few things that I appreciated uh, through, through this film. But also the the transformation that Jim Carrey and, and Edward Nigma has in this to come Bruce Wayne because he wants to be Bruce Wayne, and then we see him at the big party of the launch of his yeah. his mind reading device, and he is dressed in the same suit. He's got the same haircut, uh, and has one of my favourite moments of the film where he just turns to uh, Drew Barrymore and just goes, how's my mole? Yeah. Uh, because Val Kilmer has a mole on the side of his face. See, my favourite moment in that is when he's showing Bruce Wayne the machine and Bruce puts his glasses on and then it cuts to Jim and he puts the exact same glasses on. And, it's like, <laughs> and I was like, that has to be like, Jim just like got them off the props table and was like, cool, I'm going to do this. And like, and like just stands in the same way. And I'm just like, that's so good. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, a fun kind of element of clowning. But that's what Jim Carrey's so good at. Yeah. He's so good at taking like really normal stuff, taking it to a level and you're like, I can actually imagine somebody doing that in public. And then, like, you know, you see people do stuff that crazy in public. Maybe not put the same glasses on their dress the same, but, like... Um, one of the other things that I loved, and this is, I think, going right into your territory, is the film noir style of this film. I just... It gave it the weirdest feeling. Like, all the shadow... And, like, the bit where they have the memory of Bruce's parents' death, the way that shot kind of like downshot but sort of tilted sideways because it's a memory and then like all the colors messed up and then like the flames are like green and then it like cuts back Nicole Kidman um who is amazing in this film I think because she is given nothing yeah she's given literally nothing, nothing. I'm like uh, anyway we'll talk about that later and like those the way it's kind of the lighting and the the feel of it like you feel like you're in the 60s kind of comic at times like i was like this feels like dangerous in a weird way like you feel like you don't understand a lot of what's going on which is what's so great about the film noir sort of more like detective style where you're like unraveling a mystery which you are because you're unraveling a a riddle as batman but yeah i just really i just really enjoyed that visually as more more now than i ever did as a kid as a kid, I was like, ah, oh, it's so bright. But now I'm like, oh, wow, they've really taken a lot of time to get this to feel. And and it really shows when they go to the gangsters when um, Robin takes the car. And they go to the like the hood. And then like there's all these gangsters and then they go in and like they're all got UV paint on and it changes them all and makes them scary. And then like Batman comes and they scatter, but it's like real thing that there's just this image of him standing on top of this building looking down and it's just like, that's right. 
It was a dusty night in the city. Like, I was just like, yeah. Loved it. But, yeah, that's the thing. And I, I, I think that's not limited to this Batman film is there, there is such lovely and amazing poses and mm. silhouettes and things that you can do with Batman. And it's like, this is cool. This is great. But then, like, he runs around a corner and just looks so uncoordinated and just this weird guy in this weird suit. Yeah, there's a couple of fight scenes uh, especially at the end, where I was just like, he looks really uncomfortable in that suit. Yeah. I was like, how would you fight in that suit? I was like, that doesn't make any I was like, it's the first time I've ever been like, you wouldn't wear that suit. Oh, the other thing, that when the um, Two-Face tries to burn him alive, and he walks out, I'm like, man, Val Kilmer looks so hot in that rubber. <laughs> like... Obviously, he's got he's nowhere near the flame, but it just would have been that hot on set for that flame to be there. He was he's like just like sweating and looking. I'm like, oh my god, how he didn't faint is beyond me. I don't want to say it's good, but it's something that I appreciated was the costuming in this film. Yeah, uh, of course, Josh Mecca, the director, comes from a costuming background. Oh, does so he? yeah, yeah, yeah. He did costumes on uh, I think it was a Woody Allen film. Yeah, he, he, he started kind of in the costuming uh, department, in the costuming world, and has kind of translated that style over into his directing. If you look at a lot of um, yeah. um, uh, Josh Schumacher's films, the the costuming is a big part. And, I mean, this you've got some like, some fantastic, especially Two-Face um, and, and some of his costumes were, were pretty incredible. But then you have things like the nipple bat suit, and uh, the the Floral tight the, suit. Of I am just shaking my head in disappointment. It just <laughs> makes me so angry. But like I, in execution, it's horrible. But his reasoning behind it, I can see how he gets there. Especially in the in the production design of this film, um, he he was kind of treating these superheroes as, as Greek gods and taking yeah. the and that's the, echoed the, all through Gotham. Yeah, yeah. The, the the Greek statues into consideration when when designing the suits with the nipples on them. That that's kind of the aesthetic that he was going for. What he was wanting to look like, uh, and then. The production design of the film itself, on top of that, with all these massive statues that are ever it's Gotham is the the city of statues. These mm. giant statues we see them in the there's the one that's city. Like, the the circus has these giant statues. There's like one a giant statue of like Satan. Yeah. At one point, and I was like, sorry, in this world, somebody commissioned that. <laughs> he <was> like, hey, guys, <laughs> look, I think what we need is a giant statue of Satan right in the middle of town. It's like, mm. oh, okay, great. But yeah, it's really to kind of harken back to that that Greek mythology and and the view of these superheroes kind of as gods, mm. uh, which I think is an interesting approach. Mm. Don't think it translates that well on screen, and definitely has not aged all that well. Yeah, I know that there was a massive like nipples controversy when this film came out, even like being as old as we were when it came out. Like, I remember that and people, like, even now, like, this is so stupid. But, like, you look at Robin at the end of the film, there's this moment when he's, like, looking down on Two-Face mm. and he just, like, his body, he looks, you're right, he looks like a, a Greek statue. Like, he's just the way they've done it. It's so interesting. I didn't, like, now that you mention it, it's like, yeah, the costumes in this are immaculate. They're so interesting and they're so detailed. 
The one that I found really interesting was the scene where Batman goes to Chase Meridian's bedroom to have their night midnight rendezvous. Kyle Kidman is actually naked under that blanket. You don't you don't need to do that because you wear the blanket the whole time. Like but like, yeah, apparently she was like, No, 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 it'll be more real and it's like but you look like she like legitimately looks naked under yeah. there. But I was like, Why were you doing that? I don't like I don't I would have loved to be in a fly on a wall for that conversation. Like, no, I think I really need to be it's like we're not going to see you. It's not a problem. It doesn't make any sense. No, no, no. I want to. Okay. One of the things that I really... Um, Ed Nigma's um, apartment? Just like... Doesn't really have much to say about it. It's like just mad shout out to the, you know, the props department and the set guys. Like some of the sets in this movie are fantastic. And that was one where I was like, there's a shot when he gets home and he's sort of walking through it. And it's... Like a tiny house. It's so small. And I was like, there's so much detail. Like the whole lens just has so much to eat up and there's little things in the corners. And I was just like, someone's really put a lot of love into this and they really want you to look at this and be like, yeah, this person is unstable. That reminds me of a question that I have about this film. Lay it on me. Jim Carrey is the Riddler. Mm -hmm. There's a scene in his apartment where he is coming up with the design of the Riddler and he goes with... This costume that is someone that's already existing. Yeah, like he he's got this this kind of coin machine with a, a kind of robot guy. They're, they're like nineteen fifties like fate machines, like the one out of the movie Big. Yeah, where like you put it in, you ask a question, and it sort of in Big it gives you a car, but like it was like either swing yes or no, kind of like a magic eight ball kind of thing but it it literally has a light bulb which is the question mark which is the riddler's symbol and he's wearing the riddler's outfit yeah so but that, also he's got like a little bubble head of the riddler yeah he's got all this character and a few other paraphernalia of this character and he's like coming up with these stupid costumes and it was like oh i'll just wear the costume of this guy that i've got all around my room anyway yeah <laughs> like is that the riddler it might it has to be Otherwise, otherwise, did he come up with that character? Or is that a pre-existing character for somebody else? Because if it is, nobody calls him on it. No one's like, hey, you look like question mark guy. It's like, oh, yeah, I borrowed his costume because I love him. <laughs> like, it would be like Batman going, what am I going to call myself? And then there's like a Batman figurine sitting next to him. He's like, oh, Batman. <laughs> like, like, oh, okay, great. One of the things I loved in this film and went crazy for, and my wife was like, shut up. <laughs> Was the scuba goons. So <laughs> after after Batman's boat's blown up, which Robin is driving, he like gets flung into the water and he's like starting to swim underwater to get to the island. The, the um at the very end, the giant island, evil island, which is the lair or the um house, I guess, of the Riddler. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, there are like Riddler goons in full scuba gear swimming between water mine. Like, what are they? Are they mines in water? No, yeah. not, are they? And they're swimming between them and they're just there. And I'm like, sorry, you have limited amount of oxygen in your tank. How long have you been out there? <laughs> and it's like huge. Like, it's a whole island and they just happen to be in the exact right spot. To grab him and then like Batman just chucks him in a net. And I'm like, they're going to get tired, Batman, and they're not going to be able to swim against that net and they're going to drown. You just killed a bunch of people. Yeah. Like, I just love the fact 
that they were there. Super 1960s, 1950s Batman. <laughs> Loved it. But I was just like, I just love the fact that they're like, oh, no, there should be like five goons just underwater. And everyone's like, yeah, oh, okay, great. I, I love the fact that they've destroyed the Batcave. Yeah. They've left him the Batwing and the Batboat. So they know that he's either going to come in the Batwing or the Batboat. So they were like, he's in a boat. Let's put some mines out there and build this battleship machine just for ourselves. Yeah. But like, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? There you go. That's so stupid. Like, that is exactly what you would do. Yeah. They're both incredibly unhinged. Also, I don't know if they quite understand the rules of battleship. Yeah. Hit. No. Um, a hit is when you actually hit the boat, not when it just explodes. Do you not understand how the game is played? Before we get into other things, I've got a couple of things for you, Dave. Okay. Um, of course, Jim Carrey movie with a crazy car. Yeah. Batmobile. Um, and also, we have another Jim Carrey dance moment. Oh, he's so good. He's such a good dancer. But um, yeah. Where yeah. he's, he's, I don't, I Love the way that Jim Carrey played it. He's dancing with Nicole Kidman, yeah. but trying to make sure that Bruce Wayne is doing the thing that he's doing, yeah. um, doing all the dance moves, and then like this celebration when everything goes according to plan, all without letting Nicole Kidman's character on to what is happening. Yeah, but also does probably the greatest dance in the whole thing when he um, get first realizes that the machine works and he's getting and he's getting the other brain waves and he like, does this <laughs> weird dance in his um in his office and I was like what is that like where does that? <laughs> yeah oh no that is that is definitely exposition dance scene yeah. because he is basically trying to tell you what is happening with yeah. that machine and the whole purpose for his his journey for the rest of the film through dance yeah yeah, because he like, he's like, oh, I'm getting all your brain life. Oh, yeah, and now this thing is happening, so I can do this, and we can do this. This is going to be great. It's like, well, well done, well done. Okay, I've found out what's happening to this thing, but there's no one else here. I'm talking to myself and telling myself exactly what is happening to me. And then I'm going to take the machine off that guy and then explain it all to him again, just because I don't think anybody knows what's going on. There, there was a little bit of exposition in this film. Like a little bit of like... A little bit. Okay, a lot. There was a lot of exposition when I was like, that's so not necessary. But also, I'm so glad it's there. One of my gripes is there, there, there's an action sequence about halfway through the film. And, and maybe you can help me out with this if okay. I missed something. Mm-hmm. But I went back and watched it again because I, I, I was like, I don't see the point of this. But there was an action sequence between Batman and Two-Face about halfway through the, the film. Char- the car chase? Yeah, where Two-Face comes out with... Oh, so the, the bat signal's gone out. Mm-hmm. Batman is driving through the streets. Uh, Two-Face comes out dressed as an old lady with a pram mm-hmm. to ambush Batman. Uh, and there's a bit of a chase that ensues, leading into a big explosion. There's no point to that scene. There is no... Uh, I disagree. You get to see that this, the wheels can go sideways <laughs> and, he can, and he can go sideways. And you get... To see a whole bunch of Two Faces men die in a fiery car crash, and you get to see Batman drive up a wall. Yeah, that is it. It's no, no. You're absolutely hundred yeah. percent correct. Yeah. From a story point yeah. of view, it is only there to just be another action sequence. Yeah. It is, is completely superfluous to the plot of this film. There's, I don't know what Two Face is objective is there. I don't uh, know. Other than trying how, to, how does he know Batman he's going to be there? Yeah, and there's, I'm like. 
somebody has watched the way that Batman gets into the city because he comes the same way every time and they're like, oh, he's going to go through this tunnel. He always goes through this tunnel. But also Batman's out there because he's seen the bat signal. So mm. obviously Two-Face was doing something. I feel like what it was is like the producers are like 90s filmmakers like, cool. It's been X amount of time. You need an action sequence. Something needs to happen or you're going to lose people. You don't need an action sequence. You need a Batmobile sequence. Yeah. It was purely for marketing purposes and yeah. for selling toys. Look, how cool is this? How cool is it? Because there was, I mean, a fantastic uh, and one of my favourite, all-time favourite Batman scenes from Batman Returns where the Penguin takes over the Batmobile <laughs> and it's in the little, the little toy, yeah. the toy car, which... I love that scene so much. But we haven't really had any other scenes in this film with the Batmobile doing cool things. That's true. So the whole point of this scene yeah. is to show the Batmobile, but from a story point of view, it, it could have got cut and would have made no difference. Also? Well, one thing that I really appreciated from a craft point of view is this This is sort of before the time of CG. It's kind of at the time that CG was really picking up. We've got a couple of very overt CG scenes in this film that were horrible. The, the the scene leading up to the, when we first meet Edward Nigma, where we see the Wayne Enterprises, I guess it is, has not aged well at all. Mm. It looks horrible. But it meant that a lot of the the big sets and, and, and to achieve a lot of the effects in this had a lot of sets that were miniatures that were built. Um, and because it was such a, a big over-the-top film, the, the the kind of artistry in these miniature sets w- was just amazing. It's something that I, I, I actually, uh, this is probably just a personal preference of mine, but it's actually something I, I, I quite miss yeah. from films nowadays. Couldn't that, agree more, yeah. That are very kind of uh, overtly CGI and you know that it's fake, but it still looks all right. Whereas with, with these miniature sets, you you know that they made that, that someone has physically made that. And, and I know a lot of artistry goes into to CGI, but there's there, there's something to the the physicality of these miniature sets that I, I really appreciate and and really kind of miss from a nostalgia point of view. But I think we're both children of the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, <laughs> so we do enjoy a good miniature set being destroyed. <laughs> But yeah, I agree. I agree. Especially there was the moment where the big spinning thing falls down the tunnel and yeah. breaks. And I was like, that's just a great little miniature set. Like that whole sequence is so good. I'm going to jump into kind of scripting and story here because a lot of this script is pretty horrible, to be honest. I, I agree. <laughs> but but one thing, and I think I touched on it before, one, one thing I, I really appreciated and, and, and what I think still makes me enjoy this as a Batman film was the the handling of uh, Bruce Wayne and Batman, that kind of duality, that the, the, the two sides of the mask, which I don't think really had been explored too much in previous Batman films, but was a really interesting part of this story that I think was handled quite well. And adding in Robin in top of, on top of that actually made for a very kind of interesting character motif from those characters yeah. going throughout the film. It's when you were talking before, like, I never really thought about it, but it's like that idea of like talking to your past self yeah, and going, hey, you don't want this. You think you want this, but you don't want this. I'm now 15 years down the road from where you are right now and I am broken, I am 
like as a person in many, many different ways and you are taking first steps onto this path and it's not going to end the way you... Th- like he said, yeah. when he dies, what do you do then? Yeah. And he's like, oh, and he's like yeah, that's what you got to think about. I think a lot of times the, the acting doesn't really match the, the emotional weight of mm. that path and that storyline but I, I really appreciated it and it, it, it really kind of sticks me it sticks with me and you can in a movie like this that is mostly a little bit tragic um it is the really good stuff that floats to the top and that's what kind of sticks with you and i i, I think that handling of that storyline particularly as a, a batman fan i think was done particularly well which is interesting because I read a thing about Joel Schumacher and like that's what he wanted. He was going to make just that film and they're like, no, 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 no. you got to do all this other stuff. Like they wanted more, but yeah. he wanted to focus just on like Batman kind of going, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Like I don't know who I am. And then I think, yeah, whoever was like bring Robin in and then have him at the end go, no, I am actually both of these people. I have to be both of these people because that is – so a part of me now mm. I can't live without it yeah I thought that was a really I thought that was a really like I would love to see a recut listeners <laughs> I'd love to see a recut of this film where you take out that bad yeah. chase scene and you cut it just around that storyline of Robin and Batman like you can get rid of the first action sequence you can get rid of a lot of the chase meridian stuff which is a shame and pretty much all of the two-face you can pretty much cut two-face out of this movie I I don't think so I think uh, I think the opposite is true I think you cut Riddler out of this film yeah that's a separate film actually yeah yeah and then and then just focus on that story because yeah no you're right you're right you need Robin to go and fight two-faced because of his parents but yeah i would be really really interested because i think it would actually you'd find it be actually quite a dark sobering film if you will yeah i i think it, it's a lot of this film is about kind of excess and is very over the top mm. um and, and very campy which is the style that they were going for but it's that story that i think really grounds the humanity for me and what what kind of keeps me going in this film the cinematography in this film is so interesting and, and that combined with the production design, like the artistry and the mechanics of that is top notch. But the way that it is executed and the purpose of it, I think is completely misguided. Yeah. The, the the bright colours, the, the over-the-topness, I, I think is a little bit too much. But the way that they did that the way that they achieved that you need to give some props for like (laughs) it is so distracting to have something moving in every scene of this film to just kind of shadows going around the wall or things lining up or like every shot of this film there there is light there's something going on even when nothing is going on and to achieve that i think especially at this time of filmmaking i think would be really hard to do so i i want to kind of praise the artistry behind that and praise things like the cinematography because what they did to achieve that look is incredible it would have taken a lot of work but it doesn't work yeah, I if that makes sense. Yeah, I turned to my wife at one point and was like, I feel like the cinematographer or you know, your DOP had probably the best and worst time of their life. I feel like they had best because they had a guy, Joel Schumacher was like, go for broke. But also the worst because they were like getting asked to do things and they're like, I don't 
know if that's going to look good. I don't know what I'm doing. There's some shots in this film where I'm like, how the hell? How would you even film that? Like, where do you start? Like, oh, so Batman's like on this big circle thing, falling down this tunnel that's going to smash him on rocks, but he's got to climb through it. And then he's got to like grab a chain and break that. And it's got to fall. And then he's got to go up. How are we going to film that? And there's some shots where it's like shot on an angle looking down. And then it's like Batman's hand just reaching and grabbing and stuff. And I was like, that's like (laughs) amazing. And it's, it's one of those things that I'm sure we'll get to a lot through this. When you have very, very talented people working on things and it's just a mess. And you like, all the ingredients are right and you've just cooked it at the wrong temperature and it's an absolute mess and it's kind of unusable. But the artistry that's gone in behind it, like you said, is yeah. actually top notch. It's really good. And I mean, we're talking about this in, in a film in 1995, but mm. I think it holds true even more so Today, I th- a lot of people approach films in, in a very black and white way, but you can not like a film but still appreciate the the work behind it. And you you look look at something like Game of Thrones. Just uh, at the time of recording of this, we've just gone through the final season, and there's been a lot kind of said about where that story went, and a lot of anger and a lot of hatred sent the way of the show with, with how that went story wise. But the way that they achieved what that story had ended up was incredible yeah. the the set design the cgi was amazing and i think that, that that's the same about this film as well is is the the there's a, a lot of people working together to achieve a director's vision and, and and sometimes that vision just doesn't work or or doesn't work with the story that's being told but you can still appreciate the work that has gone in i feel like what they needed was for someone to sit with joel schumacher which would probably be incredibly rude to do this. When he makes these big calls to somebody, go, are you sure? Because this is what's going to happen. And he's just like, no, 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 I'm sure. It's like, cool. Because I feel like so he was just like, like that movie Blank Check. <laughs> he just like, was like, this is what I want. And everyone's like, sure, Mr. Schumacher. No worries, Mr. Schumacher. And, they, and they're like, there you go. And he's like, great, let's keep going. But I think it's a little bit different here as well because the choices that he's making, he justifies mm. quite well, but they just don't work. Yeah, his justifications, you're like, that's actually a really good choice. Like, yeah. like in, in, in kind of pitching this movie by going, oh, we're going to take the Batman that we've got from Tim Burton. We're going to combine that with the humour and the campiness of the 60s show, which was very popular at mm. the time. Combine those. That sounds like it, it, it could be potentially a good idea, but... Those two things just grate against one another and it just doesn't work. I feel like you probably need a more experienced director or you need somebody who does comedy films. Because I think like you need someone who's got that touch of timing and I think that's... You need, you need someone... I'm going to go there. You need someone better than Joel Schumacher. Yeah. I, I have a lot of problems, not just with Joel Schumacher in this film, but I feel sometimes that his direction is very selfish and... Sometimes his direction is self-indulgent. Self-indulgent. Yeah, he, his direction is very self-indulgent. And and I, I feel this way about a few of his films as well, that I, I think he's put his own interest in his own um, faith in these ideas that has kind of blinded to him to why they wouldn't work. Let's jump into the actor's opinion. Uh, I'm going to go um, actor by actor. Uh, this is kind of like the big five in this. Tommy Lee Jones, Swinging for the Fences. Oh my God, what are you doing? I was like, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think, I look at this and I go, 
I don't think you understand why you were cast in this role. Because the reason you cast Tommy Lee Jones in this role is because he brings so much gravitas to everything he does. And I was like, what he needed to do is balance out Harvey Dent more Mm. with the sort of level-headedness and then have these lashes out instead of just playing wild man. And I think the problem with that is Jim Carrey. Yeah. Because it's quite well documented, they did not get along. He (laughs) said to Jim Carrey, I hate you and all of your films really early on. And then what he tries to do is he tries to like show up Jim Carrey. I think he's trying to make a point to Jim Carrey that anybody can do what you do. You've also missed the greatest quote of all time about Jim Carrey that he made after he said that. What was that? He he said that Jim Carrey sat down with him and he was like, I cannot sanction your buffoonery. That is an exact quote. He said that to Jim Carrey? Yeah. I cannot sanction this buffoonery. Wow. And you know what? <laughs> it shows in their performance. It yeah. shows in his performance. I feel like he was like, I don't want to play the straight man. You don't have to. You do at moments, you do, because actually that is your character. Like, he is part straight man, part wild man. And I think he just missed it. He just missed it. And he, but I, I and think, he came in super, super hot. Yeah. And then he was like, oh, shit. Well, I guess this is what I'm doing for the next two hours. I, I think it's one acting alongside Jim Carrey and, and um, what was happening with both of them in their careers. Mm. But also in a Batman film coming after Jack Nicholson as the Joker, I yeah. think he used that as a bit of an inspiration for this character Yeah, as well. and to and the point that Joel Schumacher said that he would never work with either Tommy Lee Jones or Jim Carrey again because he was like, they just, the two of them together was such a toxic environment mm. that he just wouldn't work with them again. And there's a quote out there, I don't know how true this is, that Jim Carrey ran into Tommy Lee Jones while filming out at dinner and went over to say hi and he's like, I don't have to talk to you off set, get away from me, I don't like you. And Jim Carrey was like with his wife and, well, not wife, his new girlfriend who is Lauren Holly mm. and was like, uh, okay. It's the same dinner where he dropped the line of, I can't sanction this wow. fruitery. Unbelievable. So Tommy Lee Jones, I don't really find much of his performance redeemable. The only real bit that was actually kind of good was him and Robin on the rocks where he's like, help me. uh," And then he pulls him out and he's like, ah, honorable and pulls a gun on him. And I was like, that I like. I was like, that's the film I want to see. Yeah. You taunting Robin. That's the film. You needed the Riddler taunting Batman and you going after Robin because you killed his parents. That's your film. But they did not do that. They were like, no, they're both going to go after Batman. I think the term, I guess, overacting can apply to both Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones yeah. in this film. But I think one makes it work. One does definitely yeah. not make it work. Yeah, Val Kilmer, I'm going to say it. He's phoning it in. This whole film. I don't know what he is doing. Uh, there is one point where he actually turns up and acts and that's when they get back from saving Robin from that gang and he is just like, he's so angry at him and he's sitting there and he's topless and he's got his stuff on. Which also, I was like, topless, achievable body. <laughs> I was like, that's so good. I was like, because these days he would be cut within an inch of his life. But then he was like, I was like, you go to the gym a couple of days a week, you can look exactly like that, whether you want to. There's a whole, whole other podcast. I just was like, I don't know what you're doing. And I and getting on to Nicole Kidman, who I think was amazing 
in this film because she had nothing. She mm. had nothing. She had no script. She had no story. Act. She had nothing. Oh, um, you're in love with Batman. Oh, then what happens? That's it. Okay, great. And she plays smoldering off of him like he is the most attractive man in the world and is just working every scene with him and he gives her nothing. Mm. He gives her maybe a smile, maybe like a, hmm, what is this doll or whatever. And I just thought the two of them together, I was like, you guys don't have good chemistry, but you do because I don't think you, I don't think she likes you, but she's too good an actor to show that and that sort of gave them tension. But he just, you could have put a brick in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, really didn't like it. Except for that one scene where he was really like, angry at Robin and was like nah you you know and then tells him what are you going to do after you kill and he's like no I want to be your partner that bit I liked everything else I was just I was like oh the Tobey Maguire school of acting (laughs) I do like Tobey Maguire I just don't like him as Spider-Man we'll save the big man till last Uh, Chris O'Donnell great just great from the moment we see him get rid of that earring (laughs) <laughs> um, but he's, he's work, he works it. He yeah. really works it. And he, teaming up him with Alfred, who is also just, he is the quintessential Alfred. Yeah. Like, Mike, like I love Michael Caine. I've read two of his biographies. I love him. But he's nothing on this Alfred. Like, that is Alfred. And that is the way Alfred should always be. The character of Alfred has gone off into different directions. Yeah. Some of the, uh, the interpretations. But, yeah, he's just this loyal, incredibly intelligent, very nice, but also very sneaky butler. And he does it so well. Two-Face and the Riddler turn up to the house with masks on. And they're like, <laughs> trick or treat. And he's like, oh, okay. And like, my wife was like, no, <laughs> they are grown men. And I'm like, he's a good guy. I feel like they're like, and then like him making the suit for him. And then him bring like, just like that mm. sneakiness. And like Chris O'Donnell, like was really working it. Like, and you can see from this film, like why he became who he was. Yeah. And then, you know, it's a very, it's a shame what happened to him. Cause I think he's actually quite a good actor yeah. and he really brought this to life. And I think he actually saves his scenes with Val Kilmer because he's working so much. Like he is the young Batman. Like I want this. I want to kill this guy. I want to do this. And Val Kilmer's like, no, angry, sad. What are you doing? Jim Carrey, as, as with always with him, a hundred percent commitment. He is in, like from the first moment we see him. I feel like because of the other three films that we've talked about, they kind of were like, this guy's a genius. Let's let him do whatever he wants. And it pays off and then it doesn't pay off. Like when you first meet Ed Nimmer and you meet his workstation and, and all that, you're like, this is great. And he's got the long hair and he looks proper deranged. And he's like all over the shop and like, this works, this works. And then it gets to this point near the end of the film where you go to his island and I feel like Jim Carrey was like, I don't know how to play this. Like, I don't know if I'm getting, I don't know if he's getting any direction. I don't really know. Like, I look at him as an actor and I'm just like, and this has happened to me before where they go, that's great. Just, just give us an option and we'll go for it. And that's what's happened to him. He's just like, all right, well, I'm just, just going to do something and they're going to either tell me they don't like it. And I don't feel like anybody could tell him that at yeah. this point because they're like, he's great. He's so funny. And he is. He's very funny, but he's also like, he's reading a lot of depth to this character. And it's interesting, just getting back to like direction, like there was two weeks there where Val Kilmer and Joel Schumacher didn't talk to each other. And Val Kilmer's like, Joel Schumacher said that he's a child and stuff like that. So that set would have been super, super weird. So I wonder 
what direction they were given, how they were given it. And then you've got this other person standing next to you who is a legitimate star in his own right, who openly hates you and is trying to sort of undercut you. And there's one moment that I was like, that's so interesting. Mm -hmm. There's a bit where they are... Jim Carrey's sitting on his throne in his big thing right at the end and then like two faces next to him and kind of leans on him but like really like smacks this hand and is like, ah, like laughing all over him. And I'm like, that is a massive power play. Like that is really like, I'm going to like, I'm taking this scene from you. And I was like, that is such, that's just rude acting. And like, you can really see it when they're grabbing the um, remote that yeah. gets all the thing. Like you actually can see them fighting for it. I'm like, they're not act fighting they are fighting and there's a cut. Jim gets it back and he kind of gets like pushed backwards and they cut it and they go to a different scene. And I'm like, because I feel like everything after that was unusual. Yeah. Like I, that, like, and that's what I got. And I was like, and Jim is working through this, still trying to do his thing. And like being clever as he is, he's using that tension. And you can see him, like you can see him going, okay, I can't trust you. So I have to be good on my own and I have to do this myself. But, also, very hard, very hard performance to do and broke 20 canes and <laughs> destroyed a whole bunch of furniture in his trailer trying to learn how to do those tricks. And yeah. as a kid, I did that Amazing. in the backyard yeah. all the time, like was trying to master that and didn't get any of him. But I think you can very easily tell which lines of his were in the script and which were yeah. ad-libbed by yeah. him. I don't think that's a fault of his yeah. because I think the scripted lines that he is given, the way that he works those into his performance I think is, is quite good. But then when he, he's doing his own stuff, it, it, it becomes almost a different film. I said it's like... Ace Ventura jumped off the deep end. And Ace Ventura is off the deep end, but it's like if Ace Ventura went properly psychotic, Enigma. Yeah. That's what it is. There's so many moments where I'm like, what I do love about his performance, it's all in the eyes. Yeah. And his eyes in this, where Jim Carrey, where Ace Ventura's eyes are like, adventure, these are the eyes of like, love me. Please love me. Somebody love me. And especially that first time we meet him and he's looking at Bruce Wayne and he's like, I just want you to tell me that I'm good. And he doesn't because he can't. And then that kicks off all these events. And I was just like, yeah, I dig it. I do. I do like, yeah. And he's, oh, he's, he, there are moments in this movie where he is a breath of fresh air though. Yeah. Like we're like, oh, this stupid film. <laughs> and then he'll come on. And there was one moment like halfway through the film I think it was actually where he was choosing his name where I was just like, oh, thank God. Like, and he's, cause he's just so playful and he's like, oh, like Captain, Captain Puzzle or whatever it is. And, and he's just coming out with all these names. And he's like, no, no. And I was like, and then it just cuts back. And I was like, again, you don't need that. There's so much you don't need in there. But, and like the party scene, like he really, really, and the way he plays to Tommy Lee Jones, um, to Two-Face, where he's like, if you let me know, we could have worked it in. Like he's like, because he's got what he wants. He's yeah. accepted, he's on Bruce Wayne's level, but then he's like kind of doing this whole other thing. He's like, oh, that's right. I made a deal with the devil and now the devil's here. Like, and the way he plays that and he's ending. Mm. There's a scene right at the end after like everyone's been saved and then Batman goes up to him and he's like lying on the floor like his face is all messed up his makeup's all run his hair and he's just ugly and he's just broken and his performance in mm. that that's where you end the film the bit where that she goes to the asylum and he's like I'm Batman fantastic but also I feel a little a little sorry because he's this genius he's 
sucked the IQ of a lot of Gotham, mm. but he builds his his box, his mind control device, to be so easily broken. <laughs> it just takes one batarang to this it. big chandelier thing, and then it sucks it out of his head. Yeah, how does that work? <laughs> how does that? I was like, it's broken. It doesn't. He didn't flick it into reverse. But like just that, like him sitting there, like half melted on the floor. Loved his performance in this. Yeah. But one of the things that I did say, all of them, all of them are in different movies. Yeah. Every single one of them is in a different movie and it shows and it, and it makes it really, really hard at times. Like if you look at like um, True Detective season one with Matthew McConaughey and Ed uh, Harris, not yeah. Ed Harris, uh, no. uh, Woody Harrelson, Woody, yeah. different movie. Like they are in different TV shows, but it works so well. But if your whole cast is in a different film playing different objectives, it doesn't work. Like Nicole Kidman was in the Chase Meridian film, which she needed to be. But I was like, there's a bit of me. I was like, what is she up to? Like when she's like doing like the karate and stuff, I'm like, is she going out and fighting crime at night? Like, why do you give us this sequence of her like sparring? And then that never comes to anything. She never fights anybody. Mm. She like stands in the tube and it's like, Oh my God, help me. So, but I, I think it is very interesting um, to your point of, four actors in four completely different films to to see where each of these actors are in their career. And this is kind of their first steps into the height of their career. Yeah. I mean, Nicole Kidman was becoming a big name. Val Kilmer had just um, had a, a big success with Tombstone. Tommy Lee Jones had just won an Academy Award for The Fugitive. And Jim Carrey had um, 1994, which was his big breakout year. So very interesting to see these four for big stars pretty much on the rise or to the top of their rise and interacting together so differently yeah. and, and taking the excess and the, the success of this film so very differently as well. Too many cooks. Like with Joel Schumacher as well, like too many cooks. It was interesting looking at the trivia going like who passed on this film. Like they wanted Leonardo DiCaprio to play Robin, but he passed because he didn't like Joel Schumacher. He's like, I don't want to work with him. And then obviously Michael Keaton was like, I don't like the direction this is going. Yeah. Tim Burton was like, I don't like the direction this is going. And he's like, also came out and said, I don't want, I don't like the use of the word forever. <laughs> he was going to call it Batman Continues, which I yeah. think is a, the worst name ever. This is an interesting question. Is this Jim on the rise or is this a sidestep, do you think? I, I, I think this is kind of an important step in his career. This is, mm. this is him being in a film where he's not the sole focus and, and how he interprets that and how he works with that. And again, I don't want to kind of get into his mind without talking to him, but I think this would have been a very interesting step for him and a very interesting lesson in, in, in his career because uh, I don't think he does a lot more of these kind of big ensemble films. I think this is possibly the biggest blockbustery film that he he's in, that and he then does, he goes back he, to yeah. more. He does of, Jim Carrey films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jim does, Carrey yeah. films where and, he gets friends in to work with him. Yeah, you know, you are right because he doesn't do that. I can think of he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't do anything like where it's like you are one of four huge names. It's like this is your film and then you bring in other people with you. And I'm, I'm interested to see. So what is, what is next? Is Next is Ace Ventura, When Nature Calls. Oh, interesting. Well, guys, thank you so much for listening. Remember, you can hit us up on Facebook at Dandel, capital D, capital L, underscore fun, capital F. 
or on Twitter at dandle.fun. Or chuck us a review on uh, iTunes. That would actually be amazing. Please do. Please, please do. Please subscribe. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you next time. Oh, 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 oh,